This morning, we have not a guest, but one of my dearest friends, actually my best friend. Uh, we grew up together since second grade, uh, and I've had the privilege and honor to call him my friend, but also just to grow up with him and do life with him. Uh, and now we're in this really cool season where we get to do ministry together. Uh, and I felt like this whole week leading up to Sunday, God was just reminding me of how precious this season is, that I get to do this with my best friend. And this is one of the beautiful things about community in the body of Christ. And I just want to take a moment and honor you. Um, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your, uh, your, your impartation into me. Uh, I know that I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for you and, and for you, Pastor Kaylee, as well. Um, so if you guys would, just stand to your feet. We have a value of honor. Let's honor and celebrate Pastor Seth Morrow. Morning, y'all. So excited to be with you guys this morning. Uh, I just want to partner with that celebration and say uh, one of the funnest things about ministry is getting to do it with people that you love, do it with your friends. Uh, and so growing up with Jordan, we met each other when we were like seven years old um, and finally getting to be in a season where we're doing ministry get together. It's a blast. It's an honor. I want to honor a couple people. I want to honor my wife. She's sitting on the front row, Kaylee. I'm a better leader every day because of you. And I want to honor Pastor Les and Pastor Nikki Cody. They're not in the room this morning. Every time I'm with them, I feel stronger. I feel like I grow. And I know that they pastor you guys well. And so it's an absolute honor to be invited to speak uh, into their flock and be here with you guys this morning. The word of the year for mercy culture this year is dunamis. That's whenever the, the power of God goes from on us to in us. It's when we've strengthened and fortified in our faith. And so we're going to strengthen and fortify our faith this morning. And, uh, and so if you have your Bible, well, first off, you can text notes to 59090 if you want to see what's in front of me. And if you have your Bibles, text 1 Corinthians, not text, uh, go to 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verses 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm here to tell you this morning that whenever you take communion, you are consuming dunamis. The title of this message is Consuming Dunamis, The Power of Communion. Let's pray. Lord, we invite your presence into this sermon. Lord, we say that this word is yours, it's not ours. Lord, we ask that you would give us a sensitivity to your pleasure this morning. Just a moment ago, I feel like I heard the Lord say that when his joy is present, his pleasure is present. So Lord, we seek your pleasure this morning. God, we ask that you would teach us about the power of your body and the power of your blood. Have your way. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to submit to you guys today that communion 
is when the power of the body and blood of Jesus goes from on us to in us. Now, I grew up in church like probably a lot of you did in the room here in the South, and uh, I grew up taking communion every, every Sunday, and we, we would pass the plate, and I would take the elements, and uh, back and then it wasn't prepackaged like the one that we have here this morning. Uh, it was an actual uh, piece of a cracker and a little cup, and, and we would take it, and I knew it was important. I knew that there was value to it, but I didn't really understand it, and I remember my parents, they would share this story about when they were dating, and my dad wasn't saved yet, and, and my mom invited him to church, and they were passing the communion plate around, and my mom really quickly passed it over him and didn't allow him to take the communion because he wasn't saved, and my dad was sitting there thinking he's hungry, and he wants some of the food that everyone's having, and so I grew up hearing stories, I grew up experiencing uh, communion on a Sunday morning, but I did not understand the, the true heavenly value of it. Until about a year ago, uh, I was sitting in the sanctuary in Fort Worth, uh, and I was, I was taking communion, and I felt like the Lord had, had been asking me to take communion more. And, and as I was taking communion, I felt the Lord say that I had been doing it religiously, that he wanted to encounter me in power as I took communion. And it's been this journey that I've been on this last year of him showing me that there's power in communion. That's what I want to share with you guys this morning. Uh, I realized that it was just a religious practice and that the Lord wanted me to encounter his power. So what is communion? The Webster's Dictionary defines communion as intimate fellowship. If you look in a dictionary, that's what you're going to see. My definition of communion is simply an encounter with Jesus. When we take communion, we get to encounter Jesus and communion, it's an open invitation that Jesus gave us to connect with him, to sit at the table with him. When you take it, he is present. Some of you need to hear that this morning. When you take communion, Jesus is present. He's there with you. It's an invitation from him. And something I realized was he was extending the invitation, but my whole life I wasn't accepting it. I just thought I was just eating a little cracker and drinking some juice, I didn't realize that it was an invitation into encounter. Another name that we have for communion is the Lord's Supper. Some of you may have grew up in church traditions where you use that terminology, the Lord's Supper, and uh, we didn't use that growing up. We called it communion, but I do remember growing up, going to my Mima and Papa's house. I'm sure we have some Mima and Papa's in the room. Hopefully, we're in Waco. Uh, going to my Mima and Papa's house, and, and I still call them that to this day, but uh, we are playing outside and uh, playing in the pond and out in the woods. And, and at some point, one of them would stick their head out the door and they would yell that supper's ready. And we'd all go in and we'd sit around the table and it was really relaxed. There was no formality to the supper that we were having with them. And so we were probably eating venison or some Southern style meal. And we'd sit around the table. And, and to me, supper has always, always been about, it's, it's, it's not just about the food on the table, but the people that are at it. And that's what the Lord's Supper is. It's, it's not only about the elements at the table, but who we're sitting at the table with. It's an encounter with Jesus. So the Lord's Supper, it's, it's not an altar where you bring your offerings and sacrifices. It's a table where Jesus has already made the sacrifice and just desires fellowship with us. The religious spirit would like to make you think that you have to pay a price to receive communion, that you'd have to pay a price to sit at the table with him, to encounter him, to receive his body and blood. 
Uh, but Jesus already paid that price. There is no price for you to pay to receive communion, to encounter him. Religion, it says communion is hard. Jesus made it easy. Jesus made it easy to be with him. And we're going to talk about that today. Something that the Lord has taught me this year is that, that, that communion is holy, but it's not somber. I remember a moment in the last year where I was taking communion, and, and as soon as I got the elements in my hand, I was sitting in the sanctuary, had the elements in my hand, and I felt my attitude shift. Like I almost shifted into this serious place where I was like, all right, time to get serious. Like it's communion time. My, I have to shift from, from whatever I was feeling before into this serious place because this is a serious matter. And as soon as I held the communion in my hands, I heard the Lord say, you're the only one at the table without joy. He said, you're the only one at this table without joy which is a funny thing to say considering there's only two of us sitting at the table. So I know he's talking about me. And as soon as he said that, I was reminded of Hebrews 12 too. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was experiencing joy in communion, but I was stuck on the part where he's enduring the cross. There's joy at the table of the Lord. Holiness and reverence are not in conflict with joy. I need to say that again for some of you guys. Holiness and reverence are not in conflict with joy. Holiness and reverence are the foundation of joy because joy comes from the holiest one of all. In his holiness, Jesus gives us joy. Some of you encountered the joy in this room this morning. It came from his holiness. There is joy at the table. We're going to receive his joy as we take communion today. Communion, it's a corporate and a personal encounter with God. At Mercy Culture, you heard Pastor Jordan say that we exist to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters encounters with God. When we take communion, we accomplish the full vision of why we're here. We take it corporately together, but it's a personal encounter with Jesus. When we close our eyes and hold these elements in our hands, there's no one else in the room but us and the Lord. This is a corporate and personal encounter. And many of you, you may have grew up in, in a church tradition where, where they said, as you take communion, it's literally the flesh and blood of Jesus. Like that as you take it, this cracker, this, this juice, it becomes the flesh and blood of Jesus. And, and at Mercy Culture, we don't, we don't believe that we're consuming the literal flesh and blood of Jesus, but we also don't believe that it's just a, a symbolic piece of bread and a symbolic uh, cup of juice that has no power. We recognize, we discern the spiritual reality that there is power behind the body and blood of Jesus. That as we receive it, something is happening in the spirit, and we're receiving that power. And we have two elements whenever we take communion. You have your communion probably at the seat with you. Uh, we have the body and we have the blood. So the first element that we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about his, his body. It's the bread. It's his body that was broken for us. And we see bread through the Bible. In, in Exodus 16, we see the story of the Israelites. And you've probably heard the story. They leave Egypt. They're in the middle of the wilderness, and they're hungry. 
and the way that the Lord provides food for the Israelites in the desert. He, sa- he says that I'm going to put manna on the ground when you wake up in the morning. You're going to wake up, you're going to go outside of your tent, and there's going to be manna, like, like snow that's fallen on the ground. And, and you can eat as much as you want, and it'll sustain you. But at the end of the day, it's going to go away. It's going to rot. You can't have manna from today for tomorrow. You have to gather it up in the morning. And, and we see it in Exodus 25, whenever they're, whenever they're building the tabernacle, and God gives them the instructions on how they're supposed to build the tabernacle. And one of the instructions that he gives them is to make a table out of pure gold and to place 12 loaves of bread on it. And they called it the table of the showbread. And the bread was called the showbread or the bread of the presence. And, and it was supposed to remain in the holy place 24-7. And the priest would eat it as they replaced it. It was a holy meal for holy priests. So we see bread throughout the entirety of Scripture. And from the moment that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which if you didn't know the word Bethlehem means the house of bread, he was born in a feed trough. He was born as a meal for us. From the moment he was born, he was born as a meal for us. John chapter 6, verse 35, it says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Jesus himself declared that he is our bread. You see, whenever we take communion, it represents his body that was broken for us. And if you've heard the gospel story, you've heard the story of how he was arrested on the night that he was in Gethsemane. And and they took him away and they mocked him. They shamed him. They whipped him with a whip that had uh, ball bearings and sharp pieces on it. So it would rip the flesh from his back. They ripped the beard from his face. They slammed a crown of thorns on his head. He was tortured within an inch of his death, and then he was forced to drag a cross through the city streets up to Golgotha. And there, they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross and dropped it into the ground, where he slowly suffocated until they pierced his side. He was broken for us. He was broken for us. Isaiah 52, verse 14 It says, just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. He was so beaten and tortured that he hardly looked like a human anymore. And this was a verse that was written before this happened. This was a prophecy. Jesus was broken for us. But by his broken body, by this bread... We have manna to sustain us that will not spoil. We no longer have to wake up and get the manna in the mornings because we have the bread of life. He is our sustenance. He will not spoil. We have access to the very bread of the presence. The showbread that used to be in the holy place is something we have access to at all times now. That we, we can take communion, consume the very presence of Jesus. And by his broken body, we also have healing. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. I believe people will experience the healing power of communion this morning. 
I feel like I even want to address some of you are hearing me say that and you're like, I've contended for healing with this before. We're going to contend again this morning. The second element of communion is the cup that's his blood poured out for us. Every sacrifice that we see in the Bible points to the blood of Jesus. In Exodus 12, we see the story of the Passover. The Israelites were enslaved in Egypt and God had a plan to get them out. And part of that plan was that they were to slay a lamb, that they were supposed to brush the the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of their home and an angel of death would pass over. And those that were under the blood of the lamb, those that had the blood of the lamb on their doorposts would be passed over. That's where we get the word Passover. They were under the authority of the blood. We also see throughout the Old Testament, the sacrificial system. God instructs the Israelites to sacrifice animals on an altar so that as they were sacrificing the animals, their sins would be atoned for. But it was a temporary thing. They had to sacrifice animal after animal, year after year. Hundreds of thousands of animals were sacrificed so that they would be right with God. Matthew chapter 26, verse 28. Jesus says, this is the blood of my covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We are under a new covenant. We don't have to sacrifice animals or rely on them for our atonement. Jesus has paid that price. It washes away our sins. Now nothing separates us from communing with Him. By His blood, nothing separates us from intimacy with Jesus. Now we can operate in full fellowship. You have to recognize the the potency of this cup. There's nothing that exists that is more powerful than the blood of Jesus. Sometimes whenever you take communion, you have to remind yourself the power of the blood. That I'm not just holding a little plastic cup with juice in it. That this is the blood of Jesus and there's nothing, nothing more powerful than his blood that was shed. And from the moment that it was spilled on Calvary to the moment he returns, it will never lose its power. This is just as powerful as the moment that he shed it. You have to renew your minds to recognize that reality. That this is as powerful as the moment that he died on the cross. And we get to receive that every time we take communion. And whenever you receive his blood, you receive his dunamis power. Now, there are three ways that we receive dunamis in communion. When we take communion, we receive his dunamis power of what he did, what he is doing, and what he will do. The first way is through what he did. That's remembrance. Pastor Jordan touched on this as he was hosting our service. Uh, We encounter the Lord through remembrance. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 24 through 25. And when he had given thanks... He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then in the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He said, do this in remembrance of me. When we take communion, we remember the cross. There's power in remembrance. Communion takes our eyes off what we can do and puts our eyes on what he did. Communion takes our eyes off what we can do and puts them on what he already did. We remember that it's not by our own power, not by our own strength, but by his. 
by what he did on the cross. And remembrance, it shifts our heart posture to thanksgiving and praise. Psalms chapter 100 verse 4 says, this is the posture that we enter into his courts, that we enter into his gates, that we enter into his presence. And as we remember what he did on the cross, we enter into thanksgiving and praise and into his presence. We remember what he did and it overshadows the, the, the sin, the shame, anything that we bring to the table are overshadowed by what he did on the cross. Remembrance and communion is when we relive the power of the gospel and salvation. We relive the moment, the power of the gospel and of our salvation. Every time we take it, it's like a vow renewal. Some of you have been married a long time and you've had that moment where you have a vow renewal or, or you have that ceremony again and that's what we're doing every time we take the cup. We're remembering what we did and we're renewing our vows with him. We're renewing this covenant with him. It's a fresh opportunity to experience the joy of our salvation. And at Mercy Culture, we have something called Connect with God. Pastor Jordan told you guys about it. When it comes to membership, that's the way that we do membership at Mercy Culture. Uh, but within Connect with God, within MC Connect, is our Connect with God ways. We have 12 ways that we encourage people to connect with God. And one of those ways is remembrance. And as, I, as I'm talking about this, if, if you take communion or you encounter the Lord in remembrance and every time you think about how he delivered you, how he saved you, it ushers you into his presence, it may be that you connect with God through remembrance. And if you're hearing me talk about that and you're like, what is connect with God? How do I find out? Uh, you guys can just text encounter to 59090. It should be on the screens this morning. And I would encourage you to find out the way that you best connect with God. Don't go through your encounters clueless on what it looks like to get in touch with him. Experience intimacy with Jesus every day. The second way that we receive his dunamis power in communion is through proclamation. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and take this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The word proclaim in the Greek is katangelo. It means to declare openly. This word is used interchangeably with the word preach in the Bible. Some of your translations may even say the word preach if you're reading your Bible in front of you right now. So, so the Bible, so God describes what I'm doing right here this morning the same way that he describes communion. That when we take communion, we are preaching his cross. I'm going to reread that verse again. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you preach the Lord's death until he comes. And I believe there are three people we're preaching his cross to. Three people we're preaching his death to. The first person we're preaching it to is him. As we take communion, we're proclaiming to him his body and blood. This is worship. This is thanksgiving. This is praise. The second person we're preaching it to is ourselves. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of what he did on the cross. And I say sometimes, probably every day. When we feel weight, when we feel discouraged, when we feel shame, we preach the gospel. We preach his broken body and his blood to ourselves to receive the fullness of what he paid for we're preaching communion to ourselves. The final person that I believe that we are preaching communion to, preaching his, 
his body and blood to is the enemy. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You have to know this morning that people are not our enemy. People are not our enemy. Powers and principalities are. This is the most significant thing that the Lord has been teaching you this year about communion. Is that it is a weapon of spiritual warfare. You may have heard at Mercy Culture that we don't go after powers and principalities. And that's true. We're not on some sort of conquest to take them out in our own strength. We're not chasing them down. All we do is simply lift up the highest authority. And that's what we're doing when we take communion. We are lifting up the highest authority. It's not by our strength and by our might. And if, if you hear me say that and, you th- and you're thinking, what does he mean we don't go after powers, we don't go after principalities, I would encourage you guys, if you haven't heard it, maybe even if you had, to go back and listen to Pastor Landon's message uh, called Fear-Based Warfare. It's on YouTube. You can find it easily. I'd encourage you to check that out. And maybe some of you guys need to re-listen to that as you're experiencing spiritual warfare. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. It says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the power of the cross. I was reading that one day as I was taking communion. The Lord brought me to it. And I asked the Lord, what does it mean? What does it mean that he made a public spectacle of them? And just a pro tip for you guys as you're reading your Bible. If you have questions, you see something that jumps out, ask the Lord. Sure, jump into commentaries. Those are awesome. Read the context around the scripture you're reading, but ask the Lord, what are you saying in this verse? And wait for his response. So I was reading this and I asked the Lord, what does it mean that he made a public spectacle of them? And as soon as I asked him that, he brought me back to the story of Jesus dragging his cross through the streets on his way up to Golgotha. And we have this this picture of, of Jesus dragging the cross and there's people on both sides of the street They're spitting on him. They're mocking him. They're putting him to shame. And what I hadn't considered before and what I considered as the Lord showed me this picture was that every demon in hell was probably present thinking that they had won. That it wasn't just the people that were mocking him. The enemy was mocking him. First Corinthians 2 chapter 8. It says, none of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That is a powerful verse. Colossians 2.15 is saying that the enemy thought that they were making a public spectacle of Jesus, but it was really them that were being made a spectacle of. It is directly referencing Jesus dragging his cross through the streets on the way to Calvary And the enemy thinking that they had won, but the Lord is saying they had no idea what they were doing. They didn't know what they were doing would lead to their defeat. Every time we take communion, the enemy is put to open shame. When we take communion this morning, the enemy is being put to open shame. Not by anything we've done. Not by anything that you can do. But by what he has done. Not by our authority. By his authority. 
If remembrance is when we relive the power of the gospel and our salvation, proclamation is when the powers and principalities have to relive it. If remembrance is when we relive the power of the gospel and our salvation, proclamation is when the powers and principalities have to relive it. From the moment Jesus conquered the grave to when he returns, every time we take communion, the enemy experiences the humiliating defeat of the cross. Communion is a key to spiritual warfare. Communion is a key to spiritual warfare. I want to read a psalm. It's Psalms 23. You've probably all heard it, even if you didn't grow up in church, because it's referenced so often in movies and pop culture. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me behind, beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely good and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It says, you prepare a table for me. I've read this, this passage my entire life, and the thought I had when I read the passage was, Thank God if something goes wrong, I have a table that I could go back to. Thank God that he has a backup plan. If I get scared or worried or fearful about spiritual warfare, that I can go back to a table. Uh, but the Lord led me to the scripture and he showed me that the entire scripture is him leading us. He leads us. He shepherds us. He guides us. He uses his staff like a shepherd would. The Lord is leading us to that place. It says he prepared the table. I don't know if you guys know what prepared means in the original Hebrew, but it means he prepared. <laughs> he did it in advance. It was his plan. He did not react to spiritual warfare by building a table. It was already there. The Lord has prepared a place for us in the presence of our enemies. Let me, let me provide it for you guys this way. The Lord has positioned Mercy Culture Waco in the middle of the spiritual battle in the presence of your enemies because that's where he's led you. The Lord has led this church into the presence of our enemies. And some of you guys, you may feel like you're in the presence of your enemies. You may be facing spiritual warfare. You may be facing worry, anxiety, and any other thing that the enemy tries to throw at you, you may feel overwhelmed, but he has prepared a table for you. He has prepared a table for you this morning. A table where we conquer in spiritual warfare through communing with him, through intimacy and encounters with Jesus. And you may wonder, why, why would God lead us into the presence of our enemies? And it's the same reason the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil to position us for victory. The Lord is positioning Mercy Culture Waco for victory. When we take communion, we receive His dunamis power to wage war from the table where our weapons are a meal and the battle is a feast. What kind of battle is a feast? What kind of weapon is a, a piece of bread and a cup of juice? This is what the Lord has provided for us. It's easy in His presence. So practical advice for you guys this morning when you are experiencing spiritual warfare, don't turn to communion last, turn to it first. Keep some on you. 
receive the dunamis power of his body and his blood. The third way we receive his dunamis power in communion is through anticipation. That's what he will do. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26 It says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we take communion, we are anticipating his return. And you may wonder, what does anticipation feel like? What does that mean? Uh, For me, I like to describe a track runner that's on the starting blocks. You may have watched the Olympics or ran track in high school, and they're on the starting blocks and their entire body is positioned for the starting gun to fire. They're leaned over, every muscle fiber, every thought in their mind is ready for the moment that it's time to run. And maybe you don't connect with running, so another example would be, I don't connect with running. I was trying to catch my breath when we were dancing earlier. And we dance every weekend at Mercy Culture, I have no excuse. Uh, maybe you don't connect with running, but, but it's, it's like that feeling when you're going on a trip and you pack your bags and you leave them by the front door. Because you know the next day you're going somewhere. You're prepared. Anticipation is when expectancy and preparation meet. Anticipation is when expectancy and preparation meet. Uh, and, And many of you, some of you in this room have probably experienced predictions of Jesus coming back. I think all of us have been along around long enough to hear people say, all right, Jesus is coming back this year. He's coming back on this date. People have been doing that since Jesus left. They've been saying he's coming back on this date. And and maybe you've heard that so many times that you think it's foolish to live in anticipation of his return. But I'm here to tell you this morning that it's foolish not to. It is foolishness not to anticipate the return of Jesus. And we are called to proclaim his death until he comes. Revelation chapter 19, 6 through 9, I want to read this. It's about the marriage supper of the Lamb. It says, then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like the loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean were given to her to wear. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. As we consume the Lord's Supper, we are preparing ourselves for the marriage supper of the Lamb because we need the power of his body and blood to be made ready. We cannot be a bride that is made ready without the power of the body and blood of Jesus. And with that, let's talk about how we take communion. So we've talked about what it is. We've talked about three ways to receive power in communion. Now let's talk about how we receive it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 32, it says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the Lord. 
Before we take communion, we examine ourselves. The Bible clearly asks us to do that. So what does that mean to examine ourselves? The word examine there in the Greek is the word dokimatso, which means to test for authenticity. So this is the word that, that a banker or a merchant would have used in Bible times whenever they're receiving payment and they would have had these, these coins in their hands and they're shuffling through the coins and they're trying to figure out, are they real? Are they authentic? It's them looking at them and saying, this one doesn't look like how it was created to look. That's what it means to examine. And whenever we receive communion and we examine ourselves, that's what we're doing. We're looking for counterfeits. We're looking for anything that the Lord did not put there. The way that we examine ourselves, it's simple. We pray the prayer that David prayed in Psalms 139, verses 23 through 24. He says, search my heart, Lord. Search my heart, Lord, for anything that would offend you. Whenever we ask the Lord to search our hearts, he reveals counterfeits in ourselves. So examining yourself is, and your heart is asking, Lord, is there anything in me that you want to get out of me? It's that simple. Lord, is there anything in me that you want to get out of me? And I want to address this, uh, this religious idea that, that maybe some of you in this room, you're like, well, I don't have any major sin in my life. Like I wasn't sinning this morning or last night, so I'm good. I don't need to examine myself. That's not what this is talking about. Sure, we want to identify those, those sins in our life and repent for those things, uh, but, but it's not just major sin. It's pride. It's hard-heartedness. It's love that's grown cold. It's these things in us that don't look like Jesus that he wants to get out of us. And as we receive communion, we start to look more like him. So we are identifying these things so that we can repent of them. That's the point. That's why the Lord has asked us to examine ourselves so we can get these things out of us as we receive communion. We examine ourselves for repentance. Once you've identified that thing, repent of it. Simple as that. This passage also tells us to discern the body. What does it mean to discern the body of Jesus? The word discern in this scripture is the same Greek root word that's used when the Bible talks about the spiritual gift of discerning of spirits in 1 Corinthians 12. So in that, the word discern means to recognize a spiritual reality. It's not you looking at this bread and trying to figure out how they made it. It's you discerning the spiritual reality behind it. Context is important when we're reading the Bible. Uh, we find the answer to what it means to discern the body in the chapter right before this. Anytime you're stuck, go back and read the chapter before. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 19 through 22, it says, What am I trying to say? Am I saying that food offered to idols has some significance or that idols are real gods? No, not at all. I am saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God. And I don't want you to participate with demons. You cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons too. You cannot eat at the Lord's table and at the table of demons too. What, do we dare to rouse or provoke the Lord's jealousy? Do we dare to rouse or provoke the Lord's jealousy? Do we think that we are stronger than he is? 
These are some brutal words from Paul. He's simply saying that we are provoking the Lord if we bring food and drink from pagan sacrifices to church and take communion with it. That is what they were doing uh, in the church in Corinth. They were taking, they were taking animals that, that the pagans were sacrificing on altars to idols. They were taking animals that the witches were sacrificing on altars to animals. And they were thinking, why would we waste good meat? Let's bring it to the table and eat it alongside communion. They didn't recognize that you can't mix holiness with uncleanliness. The table of the Lord must remain pure. They, they did not discern the power of the cup. They did not discern the power of the body. Because if they had, they would have never considered bringing those things to the table. We must discern the spiritual reality. It also says, for this reason, many of you are sick and weak and some have died. That's an intense verse. I don't want to take this and get sick and weak or die. This is a verse that people don't want to touch because it implies that if you take communion wrong, you can get sick. And some have even avoided communion because they don't want to get sick. And I'm here to tell you that if you discern the spiritual reality, you don't have to worry about that. If you're not bringing pagan sacrifices to your communion table, you don't have to be concerned about getting sick or dying from communion because we know the power of communion. I want to invite the band back up. Uh, whenever you recognize the spiritual reality of communion, you won't forget his benefits. Psalms chapter 103, verses 2 through 5, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. When we take communion, we shouldn't forget his benefits. When we recognize the power of communion, we won't forget his benefits. On the cross, he paid for healing. He paid for deliverance. He paid for victory. He paid for shame to be broken off of us. He paid for sin to be covered so that we would no longer have disconnection with him so that we could be in intimacy with Jesus. When we take communion today, I believe that the dunamis power of his body and his blood will go from on us to in us. Because communion is consuming dunamis. So we're going to shift right now this morning. We're going to take communion together. If you don't have communion, would you just raise your hand? We'll have someone get it to you. And I felt as we were worshiping, uh, I had a plan, but I felt as we were worshiping this morning... I heard the Lord say that that scripture that says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the suffering of the cross. And I heard the Lord say in worship this morning that when we take communion, we're the joy that was set before him. That he endured it for us. And so before we even approach communion, approach the table of communion, I'm going to throw a curveball at the band this morning. Uh, we're going to enter back into a time of joy. Because there's joy at the table of the Lord and and I feel like there's people in this room that even as just a moment ago, as I said, all right, we're going to take communion. You did what I did and you shifted into that space where you're like, all right, it's time to get serious. It's not time to get serious. It's time to get joyful. It's not time to get serious. It's time to get joyful. So I want to invite you guys into a posture to receive the joy of the Lord. And the band's going to go into a song. And in a moment, we're going to take communion together 
And I believe that there's people in this room, you've been experiencing spiritual warfare. You've been experiencing heaviness. Some of you have felt overwhelmed. And this morning as you receive the dunamis power of his body and blood, those things will break off of you. There's people that during that hosting moment, they're like, oh, I want deliverance. I want deliverance. I feel like I didn't get it. I feel like I missed it. You're going to get deliverance before you leave this room this morning. And so we're going to enter into joy this morning. And from the place of joy, we're going to take communion together. So Lauren, would you just lead us into joy?